0: We are on episode 23 of the Gospel Enthusiast Podcast. Welcome back in, everybody. I'm Braden Friesen. That's Derek Friesen. Hello. And that's Ben Martins. Hello. And we are excited to have you along with us once again for this Roman study as we go into Romans 11. And uh, yeah, we're very excited about this. It's been a, well, I can say personally, it's been a tough, a tough study or at least... It's been tough for me to get into my studies Lately um, It's something that I'll be very honest with you guys um, I've struggled with Getting into the Word on a consistent basis But we we Know that we've been given this platform For a reason so we're going to uh, uh, Get right into it shortly But how have you guys been?
1: I've, uh, I've, I've been Kind of feeling like you have a brain Just uh, struggle to get into the Word Consistently and that's kind of the beauty of doing this is like you know, I, eventually I have to, and so it it, it brings you back to the word, and then I, I can read God's word and just be corrected and, and, and be changed, and um, and just learn about God and, and learn about what we're going to be talking about today.
2: And that makes three of us because I also have recently been struggling with it, uh, and this is not this is actually not one of the easier chapters, right? to, no, to it's not. when studying, mm-hmm. and. So then you definitely want to get enough study time to do it justice and to to, to properly um, exegete it and study it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah,
0: I, I <coughs> like you guys, have struggled with it for the last ta- couple weeks. But. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, well, a friend of ours, uh, about a week or so ago, and he was, he was kind of explaining how even he felt like there was this weight, this this difficulty to get into the word... Lately, and uh, he's over in in Saskatoon, but he was saying not only for himself, but he noticed even with his uh, his friends from college, they had the same same thought. And I've talked to other people too that feel as though it's just there's been a you know a heavy weight on them that they don't f- there's not a a desire in the same way to to get into scripture to meditate upon scripture or to pray um to the same extent as as they were previously and and like just what what are your guys thoughts on on that is that um almost you know a spiritual depression or is it like
1: something that we must fight and overcome well, I would say it, it's uh, something we always want to fight. I mean, whether it's it's something that uh, the devil is throwing our way, or whether it's something that we're throwing in our own path through our own negligence. I mean, either way, uh, we don't want to be out of the word. We want to be in the word. We want to be in prayer, and we want to uh, be letting letting God's word change us. And so, either way, it's not a good situation. Sure, but yeah. uh, I mean that that may change our approach and how we pray, but um, it, it doesn't change the fact that we we, we, we yeah try we to should never
0: stop praying
1: yeah we, we, right. we always want to be in the word and even on the, on the tough days when it feels like that we're not getting nearly as much out of it uh, where we're just not with it well we still want to fight through and try to try to get uh, get some learning yeah
2: those are the, those are really the days you want to do it mo- the most right like those are the days that you should be doing it the most or the days that you don't feel like doing it mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> obviously they're called spiritual disciplines for a reason mm-hmm. it's it's not oh, promised to be easy it's you know we're tempted with all sorts of things to take our time to whatever it is. And, but there's still, um, there's still an obligation to do it. I was reading a book the past week during lunch at work. And, uh, the book is on keeping the, on keeping the heart by John Flavel. And there was something he said in there that, um, was talking about obligation versus desire. Mm. Said that even now, I'm now that I'm second thinking. It, I'm I'm not sure if I actually read it there. Or if I read it somewhere else, but either way, read that book. I would recommend, highly recommend it. Um, but anyways, I was reading and it was talking about the desire versus the obligation. That even though even on the times we don't desire God's word, God's word, and we don't desire, we we still should have this obligation to do it. We're still obligated to do it, right? Like there's out of obedience even, and the more that we read the word, the more in love with Christ we'll fall. And then the more, you know, it, it kind of circles around. It, it leads back to, you know, reading the word out of obligation will lead to
0: reading the word out of desire, right? So, sure, because mm-hmm. if you're just going by desire, um, you're going to very quickly, at least from my experience, Going, to, you're going to start um, doing it strictly based off emotion. You're going to feel more... Um, for lack of a better term, more of a Christian one day than the next. Yeah, I mean, on but, the
2: days on the days that if you're going by your <coughs> feelings, right? Yeah. On the days that you don't feel good or you don't feel like doing it, then you're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're doing it out of an obligation, like an obligation, a, a holy obedience, anyways, um, then even on your down days, the days that you don't, you know, feel, because our feelings are deceptive. On the days you don't feel it, you'll still do it, yeah, and it'll draw you closer to, to God, right?
1: I think there's a reason why Paul um, he not he compares it to physical training, right? So physical training is uh, not uh, of little profit compared to spiritual training, and because, like you said, it's a discipline where um, it's something that. Uh, you start off doing out of, of, out of obligation and, and necessity and then once you once you actually really get into it you, can, you really start to to, desi- to desire it as well and uh, there, there's you know ups and downs in the gym there's ups and downs in our spiritual uh, life as well and so uh, whether we're into it or we like it or not we, we need to be disciplined and, and get into the word.
2: Yeah and, wh- and one thing I uh, thought of that is actually in that book. Uh, <laughs> that I was talking about that I'm certain is in that book um is where he said basically you know he I've you know kind of along the lines I've never known god to give the blessing of sh- assurance to those who aren't you know wor- working towards it who aren't mm-hmm. you know d- putting in mm-hmm. an effort to be holy and, on and that type of thing right like I've admittedly I've been someone who's struggled with my with assurance for years and what upon reading that book it kind of opened my eyes to you know maybe it is negligence maybe it's you know maybe I'm not um, keeping my heart and and tending to it and, and and keeping the things or paying attention and focusing on the things that I'm putting into it and I'm not doing that thoroughly enough that if I did more thoroughly, and I, I, you know, read the word more, then you know God would give me a greater assurance. Not to say that I have to work, right, for right. anything, but is for, for salvation or anything like that. But we are still called to run the race and to live our live out our faith in fear and trembling, and right. So we do still have the disciplines that we need to do still.
0: But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, should we? Take a headlong dive into Romans 11 And just see where it takes us I guess eh?
1: I like that Let
0: us go Perfect So The one thing that, that uh, I find really encouraging And really um, and You're talking about assurance I find this chapter Especially coming off the heels of chapter 10 When When Right on the end of chapter 10, Paul writes, but as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. But then he goes right into chapter 11. I have to remember that that there was no chapters when he wrote this. It was just a continuous letter. He says, I say, then God has not rejected his people, has he may it never be, for I too am an Israelite. God does not leave his people. Those whom he has chosen to himself, this is the part that I find very encouraging, mm-hmm. is that God does not leave his people. There is assurance knowing that if, if you are truly saved, if if the Lord has given you a new heart to respond to the gospel, that you have put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, you are secure in him.
2: Yeah, I mean, he said, <coughs> sorry, I mean, Jesus says in, in John, in the book of John in 6, that those who, you know, that are in his hands, will not be plucked from his hands, right? Yep. So, so there's this security there. It's and so,
0: yeah, that is a... So, so you, all, we, you basically start out this chapter with, with the security in Christ mm-hmm. that, that God has given you, or given even Paul, an Israelite, who, you know, in the previous chapter where it says he has stretched out his hands to a disobedient and obstinate people, you know, he, he's talking about the Jewish people, mm-hmm. you know, who have rejected Christ, mm-hmm. and yet, like, we're gonna, you know, go through this much. Yeah, and that, I mean, I the, 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 Jewish
2: people, case, uh, his, the Jewish people in this case, the Jewish people in this chapter are the majority of what's talked about in this chapter, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So, and right after Paul makes this 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 claim, because obviously he's making this claim that um, not only does he make the claim in in chapter ten that Gentiles are also included in the promise, but that the Jews are not. Rejected, and he he reiterates this point by citing First Kings nineteen, talking about the story of uh, Elijah, where Elijah is running away from I think Jezebel. Um, he's fearing his life, and he's he's praying and he's telling God, "I'm the the last faithful servant of God. I'm the last one." And, and, and he was
2: right after Mount Carmel, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And so he had this amazing Mount Carmel moment where he, you know, God showed him the the glory of God and and just proved that He is the God of 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 Isaac and, and Jacob and and Abraham and just he's faithful and and so he he's you know on on a I'm guessing on a spiritual high there and then he's running away from Jezebel and he's claiming to be the only the only servant of God left cuz the rest have been killed off and God shows him that he has 7000 more that there's a remnant remaining that that mm-hmm. he didn't know about and that he is faithful in the same way that the rem- that the remnant is still there in in Elijah's time that God has been faithful, and the remnant still exist to the to this day. That God still has a remnant, he still has even when a it looks people bad. for Himself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I guess the way I understand this right is Paul is at, kind of starts with this question, like Paul does. He, he writes these questions that he just knows are going to come up, mm-hmm. and obviously because um, you know a, the amount of Jewish the Jewish people that were coming to christ they were like the majority was rejecting christ right so right um so it, it could the question could definitely come up like you know did god reject them like was this you know did he reject them fully and finally like is it irreversible and that type of thing right and i was studying or i was reading something on ligonier's website and there's just on this topic and this the guy. His name is Ken Jones. The way he said it is about the, talking about this chapter is uh, that Paul's point in this chapter is that although their obstinacy had been met with severity from God, they had not been fully and finally rejected by Him. Paul himself is proof that the saving grace of God could and would penetrate the unbelieving Jewish heart. And well,
1: just to add a little uh, context too, I thought it was really cool to point out like in this story. It's gotten so bad already in Israel's time that Elijah was praying against Israel yeah. because of how sinful they had become. And, and God is showing Elijah that no, even in this time you think you're the only one left, you're praying against Israel because of how sinful they are, I still have a remnant. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool.
2: And Paul uses himself as the example in this case, mm-hmm. right? And exactly that same thing could happen. Like the majority was, or the same thing applied, right? As what, was happening with, in Elijah's time, obviously that's why Paul brings it up and uses that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the majority of Jews were rejecting him and so it would seem like, you know, God's people was, you know, God's Old Testament people or like his, his chosen people uh, was rejected, but the same applied, and Paul says it here, that even during that time, and, and the same would apply today, um, while the majority of Israel, of ethnic Israel rejected, rejected and still rejects Jesus as the Messiah, God still has, and, and at Paul's time, had a remnant of believers among the Jews.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we see here that, you know, in verse 5 and 6, that there, was, there is still a remnant in the present time. And um, we see Paul explains that this remnant was, has been chosen by grace alone. That he goes on to say that it is not by works that this remnant has been chosen. Otherwise, you know, grace wouldn't be grace. We've discussed it in previous episodes, right? Where that grace is unmerited and undeserved favor. And so if we're getting it based on works, then obviously that's not grace.
0: So just moving on, uh, just move on to verse uh, 11 here. And so Paul writes, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? And I. My understanding is talking about an eternal fall, that they are not... Yeah, like a complete... Uh, a complete... Un- yeah, yeah that, that God's... Because if you were to say that they had completely fallen, all of Israel, you know, that would indicate that God's promise failed. Yeah, no, and, and, then no and d- no Jew would be saved, yeah, which and, includes Paul. And so, which we know is not true, seeing as ver- verse 1 of the chapter, um, he rejects that notion by saying may it never be for i too am an israelite and paul himself is saved he is an apostle um but just to move on here he says may it never be um i like the other versions where it says god forbid um by the transgressions salvation has come to the gentiles to make them jealous now the intent of this jealousy um caused by the salvation of the gentiles is to lead some of the Jews to Christ, and and we'll talk a little bit more about that in verse um, verse fourteen, where he talks about I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen, and some of them might be saved. Mm-hmm. So first we know that not all is Israel is true Israel. If we look back to chapter nine, um, right. so Paul ultimately is talking about those who are God's elect. God will save whom he will save. Mm-hmm. Um, but just going back a little bit to verse 11, um, I just want to give John Calvin's thoughts on that verse, talking about the about the stumbling, about Israel. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. He writes, Have they stumbled, etc.? You will be greatly hindered... In understanding this argument, except you take notice that the Apostle speaks sometimes of the whole nation of the Jews, and sometimes of single individuals. For hence arises the diversity that one while he speaks of the Jews as being banished from the kingdom of God, cut off from the tree, and precipitated by God's judgment into destruction, and that at another he denies that they had fallen from grace, but that on the contrary they continued in the possession of the covenant and had a place in the church of God. Let me just. Move it down here. it is then in conformity with this difference that he now speaks for since the jews for the most part rejected christ so that perverseness had taken hold almost on the whole nation and few among them seem, seemed to be of sane mind he asked the question whether the jewish nation had so stumbled at christ that it was all over with them universally and that no hope of repentance remained here he justly denies that the salvation of the jews ...was to be despaired of, or that they were rejected by God, that there was to be no future restoration. Men, he makes run-on sentences. (laughs) (laughs) Or that the covenant of grace, which he had once made with them, was entirely abolished since there had ever remained in that nation the seed of blessing. That we are so to understand his meaning is evident from this, that having before connected a sure ruin with blindness, he now gives a hope of rising again which two things are wholly different. They then, who perversely stumbled at Christ, fell and fell into destruction, yet the nation itself had not fallen, so that he who is a Jew must necessarily perish or be alienated from God. This is a long quote. My apologies. (coughs) But But by their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles, etc. The apostle asserts two things in this place, that the fall of the Jews had turned out for salvation to the Gentiles, but to this end. That they may be kindled by a sort of jealousy and be thus led to repentance. Mm-hmm. He had, he no doubt had an eye to the testimony of Moses, which he had already quoted, where the Lord threatened Israel, That is, he had been provoked by them to emulation through their false gods, so he also, according to the law of retaliation, would provoke them by a foolish nation. End quote.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, he even mentions it in the what we call the previous chapter. It was just yeah. a number of verses ago. But he, Paul uh references old pa- old uh, testament passages where it says that you know they will be made jealous by a nation or by what is not a nation and a people that's not a people right mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then so i just have the i just took the two uh notes for that re- regarding this verse in verse uh, i think 11 to 15 or whatever for the re- from the reformation study bible where it says quote Paul has thus far argued that the rejection of the Jew- Jewish people is not total. Now he argues that it is not final. Just as the rejection of Christ among the Jews has led to the acceptance of the gospel among the Gentiles, so God means to use the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to envy the Gentiles' blessing, leading to their salvation and correspondingly greater riches. And then the second one, um, it says uh, that their rejection of Christ is not irreversible and that Paul sees this divine pattern and purpose behind the unbelief of which the Jews are guilty and the pattern uh, of his thought is thus uh, that A. The transgressions of the Jews has led to the justification of the Gentiles. B. The salvation of the Gentiles will cause the Jews to envy. And C. The envy of the Jews will draw them to the same salvation of the Gentiles. Obviously that just sums up what John Calvin said, just in a slightly shorter <laughs>
0: slightly.
1: term, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that was two notes, right? So,
0: I know I'm not but, in great shape, but I was like heavy breathing by the time I got yeah.
2: to the end. <laughs> that, that, that's what you get reading some of the reform- yeah. Reformers and trying to quote them especially. But
0: um, I, I don't know if you had another point oh, I was here, just going to make a, just but, a quick
2: point uh, regarding what Paul says in... Uh, sorry, it was in verse... 13, uh, 13 and 14, how he magnifies his ministry in order to make some of the Jews jealous, right? Paul, even though he had this ministry to the Gentiles, even in it, he has the salvation of the Jews in mind as well. Mm -hmm. And so he desires to magnify his ministry so that, you know, some, that the Jews will be made jealous by it, through it, and that through that, you know, some will be brought to
0: salvation, so. Yeah, so I was just going to make a point regarding verse 12, regarding the riches When he refers to riches, he's referring to salvation, um, the riches of Christ Mm -hmm. and being in uh, in unison with Christ in, you know, relation with him. Um, Yeah, so the Lord's plan to save even the Gentiles, um, which would be uh, probably the way that, you know. Especially the Pharisees would think even the Gentiles are being saved. Like that doesn't make any (laughs) Mm -hmm. any sense. But but God God's plan was to save true Israel, not just um, those of Jewish descent. And you can see it's evident here that that salvation has come to more than just the Jews. So it's come that so God's plan to save has come to fruition through the stumbling of. Israel, yeah, and so um, I don't actually have a note for this, but I was while you were you were talking there, I was just reading through um, verses fourteen through sixteen here. If my fellow countrymen say some of them, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, and we see that's evident in um, previous verses here, talking about the riches, mm-hmm. what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? it's talking about being raised to life like mm-hmm. like their reconciliation to Christ will raise them to life well mm-hmm.
2: their their life to li- or death death to life will be just like ours was right just like oh, the gentiles was yeah. death to life and uh, <clears throat> obviously we have to in saying right this that you know god used the rejection of the jews to bring salvation bring the salvation of um, to the gentiles right we have to uh, obviously exercise caution in making the point so it doesn't appear as though, you know, that salvation among the Gentiles is some some backup plan. You know, like, oh, they rejected him, so he's using it as a backup plan, right? But um, earlier on in Romans, in, four, in chapter 4, verse 13 to 17, you know, Paul expounds the fact that God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, you know, that it always included the Gentiles. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? they would come to share Abraham's faith, right? Those who came to share Abraham's faith would be true Israel and, you know, would be his people. So the rejection of the Jews was, you know, simply the means by which God's eternal plan and purposes became accomplished. And that's one of those things, you know, God ordains the ends, but he also ordains the means. And sometimes the means don't look like what we think they
0: should look like. I would say oftentimes that, that is the case.
1: Well, and, and, and these these early Christians thought the same thing. I mean, the, the Gentiles that were being saved, and uh, the uh, the Jews they both the Jews that were being saved both thought the same thing. And so Paul is actually he's a race, uh, starting in verse fifteen. He's got this pastoral um, section here where he's uh, he's exhorting the the Christians. Um, he's talking to the Gentiles, saying, "Hey, like you've been grafted in, um, mm-hmm. so don't you know like you don't know? don't be proud. This like, you mm-hmm. were you Outside now, you're inside through. God grafted you in, and uh, you he says, like, um, where is that? Uh, I'm gonna just read it here so I don't butcher it. Um, one second,
2: are you talking 23 or are you talking a little bit back
0: in 19?
1: 17. Oh, okay, he we're, here. We're, all, we're all ahead here, yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe even. Uh, here, uh, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree do you not be arrogant toward the branches? Um oh, There's actually a, a question here it's the same idea though, basically that the 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 grafted in branches are going to say well, other bro- branches were broken off so that we can be grafted in, you know, like we're so important you know he was willing to break off yeah. other branches for us, yeah. and he's telling the, the Gentiles, don't don't do that. Uh, meanwhile, telling the Jews, don't be, don't reject the new branch because mm-hmm. God is grafting them in. And at the same time, the same God who grafted in the new branches can remove the new branches, and he can yeah. also regraft in those old branches that right. he previously cut off yeah. that have, if you know, should they repent and, and change uh, change their ways and follow him, then he, they can be regrafted mm-hmm. in again. Obviously, yeah, obviously, as, as
2: the Gentiles... Um, I, I say as the Gentiles, we. Um, <laughs> but the Gentiles were, you know, he's exhorting them not to, right? like you said, not to be boastful or proud. Um, because, you know, obviously, seeing that, that could be a tendency to, right? Like, oh, well, they, you know, got cast aside or whatever, rejected or cut off, and, you know, I got put in their place, so, you know, I must be good. Uh, but the fact is... You know, they were grafted um, onto the vine not because of anything they did or not because they were more suited to the vine or anything like that. It's literally just grace, right? Yeah. Um, And it even says in verse 24 that they were grafted in contrary to nature. That's the way it talks. And then, but it also goes on to say, and that's where I was talking about 23, where it says, even if they, uh, and even they, if they do not continue... In their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. So even if the unbelieving uh, ethnic Jews come to, you know, repent and believe in Christ as the Messiah, then they'll be grafted back in, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not. It, that's where we talk about it's not irreversible. It's not final. That just because you're of Jewish Jewish descent doesn't mean you're cut off. You, you can still be grafted in. <clears throat>
1: I I think that this passage also, it it, uh, can be applied to, especially modern days, talking about different, just different, what's the word I'm looking for, um, not dialects, (laughs) help me out here guys, Uh, different groups of churches, I can't remember the, denomination, thank you, Um, because you know, different people, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know where you were going initially, until you (laughs) said
0: different groups of churches, I was like what is he on, (laughs) dialects.
1: Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, but it's so often it's easy, and, and this is something I struggle with too, thinking, oh, you know, if I'm Reformed or Calvinist and I have this, my theology is here versus, you know, these Arminians or these Presbyterians who baptize their, their babies, um, things like that, which seems silly, but at the same time we, we do that, right? We have this 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 superiority attitude, When, when you know, whether you're Baptist or whatever, um we have a superiority attitude to other people and really we're all grafted into the same branch for in Christ and so we, we need to um, chuck our pride at the door remember that, that Christ is, is the center and he's the one that gave us salvation not our theology. Yeah, it,
0: it's it's that reminder right there in verse uh, 18 and 19 where it says do not be arrogant toward the branches but if you're arrogant remember that it is not you who supports the root but the root that supports you that's Christ yeah. Yep. You know, he is the vine, we are the branches. We have no life outside of him. Yep. And so if if we are truly saved, if, if our um, you know, our belief is in our faith is in, in the grace of Christ and his finished work upon the cross and his resurrection, then then we are together brothers and sisters in Christ. We should there should be no division, and I think it talks about that in 1 Corinthians, correct? There should be no division between you. Um, you know, no quarrels. You know, you say you're of of Paul, and you're of Apollos, right? That is in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. I'm going to trust you on that, whichever one. But but that's <laughs> kind of what I understand here, is yeah. is we cannot say because we you know, have that uh, the belief of a Calvinist you know or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or you know have Arminian beliefs um, we should be together in unison um, solely fixated on the grace of Christ that it is only through the grace through by grace through faith that we are saved um, so I, yeah I can kind of see you can't be that that arrogance that we have, that we have this high view of, high view of theology and some may understand things differently. I don't think that, that is the right attitude to have as Christians. I mean, in
2: all, all aspects of life, pride is a, or pride's one of the worst sins. Like, uh, by worse I, I mean like the easiest root. to fall, it, easiest to fall into. It's, it's mm-hmm. a root, um, it's a root sin to so many other, other things, right? Like, it's easy to see The fruit sins, um, you know, the ones that are out on display and and it's it's harder to see the pride and the, the, you know, whatever the root sins are that are Mm -hmm. behind those things, right? Because ultimately, you know, the sins that we do outward have an inward starting point or an inward something that's behind them, right? So, um, you're right, like it's, it's, uh, I've had that, I've dealt with that as well, like both of you guys have said. Um, where it's easy to just think, oh, you know, get these thoughts in our head. Oh, we must be, you know, I know more than that person, so therefore I'm higher on the food chain <laughs> or whatever it is, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, we should, like Paul says here, we we have no reason to boast. We're all saved by grace. Yeah. Um, we're all saved by the same grace. We all need the same grace. You know, I can, you know, if I look at someone, it's like, oh, I've never done that sin. You know, that's a, you know, but ultimately I've done other sins. I've, I've sinned just as much. My sins are just as bad. They they separate me from God just as much. Mm-hmm. And I'm in need of that grace just as much as any man or woman in this world. Yep. And yes, man and woman, because that's...
1: <laughs> those are the only options. Those
2: are your only options. Um, it's not really an <laughs> but, option, actually. Please. But either way, right? Like, like pride is one of those ones that it's behind so many things, and it's so easy to fall into. And so I can see why Paul says this, right? Because it's, it's easy to... You know a lot of people view we've talked about you know you know calvinist or what, whatever views you guys have mentioned right talking about you know you can have this higher view or whatever of yourself um, a lot of people view seem they seem to be view people commonly in this world where if you hold to the doctrines of grace and you you know you're one of them Calvinists or whatever it is, right, that you're mm-hmm. prideful because, you know, you, you think you deserve to be one of the elect or anything. But the truth is we should, we all have to fight against pride. Yep. Um, but honestly, believing the doctrines of grace shouldn't make you more proud. Uh, it should not build your pride. It should actually do the opposite because you
1: realize who you are. Yeah, and if you if you read the that. doctrines of grace and you get prideful, you're not reading them Right, right.
2: Because, yeah, and if you think that builds pride, you're you're looking at them wrong, because, like you said, because ultimately, when you see who you are and the fact that, you know, God saved me unconditionally, not because of anything I did, not because of any work I've done or anything I've earned, that should humble you, right? It shouldn't Mm -hmm. do the opposite. Yep.
0: Well, since I've... Come to I guess terms with the doctrines of grace and and have, um, for more or less become reformed in my theology. I have at times looked down upon the theology of others where I've been very prideful in, you know, oh they don't hold the same standard I guess so to speak uh, of scripture, And, and there is a standard to be held when it comes to looking at scripture. Scripture should be at the highest standard, but to, um, if there's disagreements in, in, you know, doctrine, if there's disagreements in wording and and just even just grammatical things, you know, I, I have to be very careful not to be prideful and say, no, you're wrong, Mm -hmm. strictly based off of my own understanding. Yeah. And admittedly, we've all been there. Sure. Like that's, it's cage stage. (laughs)
2: yeah oh absolutely yeah Yeah. oh there's no trouble to be found i'm gonna start some (laughs) no uh. darn right i am (laughs) but no like 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 we've been talking about right pride is pride is a deadly thing and and it's something we all have to check on a daily basis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's good to be humbled (laughs) so anyways we continue on with the chapter so we move on to verse 25 to 27 or more or less to the end of the chapter actually. Um but in this in this part of the passage there's there is the term all Israel will be saved and there are a number of different views um even within, you know, reformed theology or whatever, like even not just in all of Christianity but even in, within just, you know, one area or type whatever. Anyways, there are, basically there are four different views. So, some see it as referring to all spiritual Israel regarding the elect and from the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, some see it as talking about the elect from, from within the uh, natural or physical descendants of Abraham. Some see it as the literal nation of Israel as we know it today. And then there are some who believe also that it is... You know, talking about a future point of time when there will be this mass mass conversion among the Jews, and so um, based on my study of this, and I, I think we all kind of s- sit on the same uh, understanding of it, right? But mm-hmm. um, we'll we'll just discuss it anyways. But based on what I see, what's what's seen here, and we've seen earlier in the book of Romans, the way uh, my understanding would be with that fourth view. Uh, talking about a few fu- future conversion, future mass conversion idea- yeah. type thing. Because um, it's clear in this section of verses that there has been a partial, partial hardening upon Israel, um, speaking of ethnic Israel. And we see that it's not a full and final hardening, uh, as there are believing Jews, including Paul, Peter, the apostles, you know... Um, but there, there is a purpose behind this hardening, and we've seen it earlier on, um, in the chapter, that this purpose for this hardening has come to bring salvation to the Gentiles, and again, exercising caution, saying that it, this isn't, you know, a backup plan. It was always part of the plan. Um, but it said, like it says here, you know, that when Paul mentions that when the fullness of the Gentiles come, you know, basically when the when the foreordained number of the gentile elect has been saved then this hardening upon israel will be removed and israel will be saved um and it's clear from obviously pre- previous chapters of romans and elsewhere in the bible that if you reject christ and die in your sin then you are not saved it and it's not based on you know who you're the descendant of or anything like that so clearly uh to my understanding this can't mean you know all ethnic israel from the past who died in their sins and 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 rejected the messiah rejecting christ yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but rather appears to be uh a widespread conversion of jews in the future that in a general sense it can be said israel is saved that you know and obviously we paul even mentions it here it's a mystery right yeah
0: i i just want to do you guys mind if i share a couple thoughts just from uh uh John Piper. Nope. Oh, definitely go ahead. Go for it. So he uh, has, and maybe we can put this up on the Facebook page or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the link to this this uh, website, because uh, uh, or to this article that he had written. It's called Five Reasons I Believe Romans Eleven Twenty Six Means a Future Conversion for Israel. Um, we'll put that link up on the Facebook page. That way. Because I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, go through some bullet points that he makes here. Um, so, his five reasons. Um, the heading of the first one is the term Israel in verses 25 and 26 most naturally refers to the same thing. It um, must refer to the nation as a whole from generation to generation. Uh, he continues, until the fullness of Gentiles. Fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. I don't think the meaning of Israel changes between verses 25 and and twenty six, the hardened Israel, the nation as a whole, will be saved, will be the saved Israel, the nation as a whole. Now that doesn't mean every individual, but he's he's referencing the nation in general, that there mm-hmm. will be Israelites, Jewish people, saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to um, his second point, the reference in verse twenty six to banishing ungodliness from Jacob fits with the national view of all Israel. Um, verse 26 says, sorry. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This seems most naturally to be a picture of the second coming. Christ banishing ungodliness from Jacob refers most naturally to the removal of hardening referred to in verse 25. Quote unquote, Jacob is not a natural or typical reference to the elect remnant of Israel. (coughs) excuse me um, the hardening lasts until the fullness or sorry until the full number of gentiles comes in the climax of world missions and the and then christ lifts the veil removes the hardening he banishes ungodliness from jacob from quote unquote all israel um parallel between the two halves of verse 28 point to all israel as a nation as a whole as regards the gospel their enemies of God for your sake now this half of the verse surely refers to the nation as a whole. They are enemies of God. So the second half of the verse surely refers to the nation as a whole as well. But as it regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. The point of this verse is to show that even though Israel now is a covenant-breaking, unbelieving nation, it is going to change. The nation that are enemies now will be converted later because of election and love. Uh, point four, the parallels in verse 12 point in the same direction. Um, he writes here full inclusion most naturally refers to the same nation as their trespass and their failure. so their full inclusion refers to the salvation of all Israel and is national the same thing is true about parallels in verse 15 is heading 5 um, for if they're Jewish for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance mean but life from debt from the dead the nation now rejected will be accepted so the acceptance of the jewish nation most naturally refers to the salvation of all israel the salvation of the nation as a whole someday so those are his five five points um, we'll make sure that we put that up on the facebook page but i think what he is saying is is all israel means nationwide it does not mean um, those who still reject Christ, yeah, like not not every single yeah. ethnically
2: Jewish, yeah, person who continues to reject Christ or who has rejected Christ in the past and died in that. That's right, where I so. would hold
0: to a similar view that you have, Derek, in regards to a mass, um, salvation yeah, conversion yeah. or conversion, mm-hmm. um, just. You know, from the way I understand it. But if you guys have questions or comments, maybe you can.
2: Because mm-hmm. obvi- obviously, we we're not the final authority on this. We don't know exactly. Even like Paul even uh, calls it a mystery. There, right? Yeah. He mm-hmm. does. And um, yeah, it's um, it is a mystery. It's not something that we're going to f- fully understand. It's not something that
1: we need to fully understand.
2: Thank, but it's not like, thankfully
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's not like that we are the ones that came up with these ideas and that we you know like scholars have been pouring into these for years decades yeah. um certainly decades and so uh we're like like derek said we're not the final authority so dig into your bibles if if you have questions about it you know throw them up on the page and we'll try to answer them as best we can and we'll discuss it and yeah. but yeah as far as we know uh, as far as we can tell this This explanation makes the most sense.
2: Yeah. Obviously, be a Berian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: Search search the scriptures. They're the authority. Um, But
0: do you have more points on that?
2: I was just going to go to the last section of this chapter and how Paul goes from describing this mystery to...
0: Just before we go into that that doxology that he has, I just have another point, if if you are good with it. Um, So... So the, God showed his mercy to the Gentiles through the disobedience of Israel. Similarly, when the partial partial hardening has been removed through the mercy shown to the Gentiles, the mercy will also be shown to Israel. That's how I understand um, verses 30 and 31. Um, although grammatically, when I was first reading this chapter, I'm like, what is happening here? But <laughs> as, as the Lord um, continued to, give me understanding and wisdom of, the, of, of this chapter it is, it is evident that, that God um, showed mercy to us through the disobedience of, of Israel through, um, through their rejection of Christ to make them jealous he has given us salvation um, and that is, that is to bring them to himself as well Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is not as though God is causing them to sin. Let's make sure we're very clear mm-hmm. right on that. Yeah, God's not the author of sin. So, but God, because you can see in, in the beginning of the chapter when Elijah is saying, like, look how terrible this nation is, the nation of Israel is. Like, they sin against you constantly. And, and God still has mercy upon them. But through their disobedience, through their choice to to disobey and be an obstinate people, God has used that to to save Gentiles, to save the rest of the world.
1: Well, And just a uh, quick quick quote that, well, okay, I'm not going to read it verbatim because I don't have it in front of me, but I'm just going to try to paraphrase and butcher it a little bit. Um, like always. Like always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually. Uh, the best th- way to do it. There was a... <laughs> A theologian that's older than me for sure, wiser than me definitely, um, basically saying that there's a generation of Christians who are more than content to, um, instead of making Israel jealous by, by uh, you know, just showing this, this goodness that we have in Christ, that by showing that we have salvation and living in freedom in Christ, we're too content to make enemies of Israel, thus furthering their, their uh, rejection of, of God, a rejection of Christ. And that we need to be living in a way to to make them jealous of, uh, of like not like bad kind of jealous, but like make them desire Christ uh, in, in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to, it's all the Gentile believers out there, myself I, and especially. I don't know what
0: if you had said it on the recording or if you said it prior to this, but you had said something about a thought that you had when reading through this chapter, um, and when when you realized what you had thought, you're like, man, what a stupid thought that I just had. What <laughs> was that again?
1: Oh, it was... Uh, that was
0: a reference to this, was it not?
1: Yeah, it was if, if someone had kind of, um, you know, gone through this chapter and like, oh, God's going to use uh, the the obstinance or the, the 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 salvation of the Gentiles to bring salvation to the Jews. And I'm like, what if someone goes to Israel to, like, be against Christianity to try to prevent the salvation of Israel and, and then it dawned on me again that God is sovereign and that there's nothing I can do to stop his plans. And he can use um, anyone's uh, rejection of him and, and their their attempts to, to smite him, uh, for lack of a better word, to, to bring his plan about. And that there's nothing we can do to stop that. It was just kind of like a... why why did I even have that thought? That was a dumb <laughs> thought moment. It's,
0: uh, the thought reminds me of, of Psalm two, where God scoffs at the, at the plans of man. Oh. Um, how he, he knows everything. He is everywhere. And he has the power to do whatever he pleases with whomever he pleases. And whatever they do, he, he's already known. He's already foreseen. It, it's, um that is the glory of God that he is all powerful he is all knowing and he is omnipresent um and that we can go right into the end of the chapter mm-hmm. talking where Paul writes a doxology kind of goes into a a song of praise to the inscrutable ways of God, how no one knows his ways it's unfathomable it's one of the um it's such a beautiful end. To a chapter where it's all it's reassuring it's that yeah we may not you know like we said it's a mystery um uh, the all israel part is is still a mystery but he is it is reassuring knowing that this is the perfect plan of god that the, you cannot we may not be able to fathom it but we can trust it
1: yeah
2: yeah because his ways are Deeper than ours, or not deeper, wiser. <laughs> but yeah, Paul, Paul goes to just praise, and, and you can see, you can just see this awe of the immeasurable, immeasurable wonder of you know the vast superiority of the God's wisdom and ways, and um, and then we end the chapter with basically a statement on where things come from, how they came to be and what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. We see that, you know, all thi- that everything is from him, it is through him, and it is to him. Mm-hmm. All things. All and to him be the glory. And this is actually just, a, it's a fitting way to, to transition into this next part of Romans because um, now that we're through 11 chapters, uh, we've got through the part of Romans where it talks about, you know, what God has done. Mm-hmm. and uh, we as you jump into chapter 12 it's it, it transitions in now what do you do in response to that We can talk about the why the, what the therefores is therefore. there for yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is the way Paul writes almost all his letters right like mm-hmm. it's it's this is what God has done now respond and you know it's easy for us to sometimes get that backwards you know what do I have to do in order for you know God to do something for me but the fact is, in the gospel God has done this you know God has made a way to be in right standing with him through the death and burial and resurrection of his son that um, we don't have to do anything to earn that that's a gift Mm -hmm. and so I guess as we come to the end of this episode we would just say you know if you don't know Christ we would you know feel free to reach out to us we'd love to talk to you Mm -hmm. Um, and ultimately we would plead for you to repent and believe the gospel Gentile or Jew so with that I believe we're at the end of the episode do you have another final note Braden?
0: yeah have a good evening but what if it's morning? then maybe later on you can have a good evening that's
2: the mystery goodbye